Every once in a while, I try to find a little help in preparation for my message. And that didn't mean I go and copy some really good preacher and bring his stuff over to mine. But instead, what I did this week was I put out a little query out on social media, Facebook and Twitter. And for those of you who have those, you may have seen it. And some of you, matter of fact, many of you responded to that. And I got responses from kind of all over the place. And what I was asking was to fill out this blank, to, to, to you put the word in it that is most suitable for you. And this is, this is what I put out there. Christmas is blank. As a matter of fact, it's in your handout. It's right there. It's the first thing on your handout. Christmas is blank. Now, it would be kind of foolish for me to stand up here and tell you what to put in your blank, right? Because for us, many of us have just kind of different ideas of what belong in that blank. And, and I got a lot of different responses. Some were very, very profound. Some were simple. Uh, some were so thoughtful that it left me behind. Um, there were some responses that were very, very Jesus-centered. Many responses that were very, very family-centered. But overwhelmingly, one answer came through. And this is what I was really hoping for. And that is, Christmas is love. But when we say that, we better understand what we're saying. And that's what we want to spend today doing. We want to come to understand what that means to say that Christmas is love. So, what is love? That is a huge question. And the answers to that question are so varied. If you do just a little bit of research, you can can run into some things. And I did did this. I I went and I found out how people filled in that blank. And one of the responses was that love is an evolutionary trait that helps humans reproduce. Well, that one left a little bit to be desired, quite honestly. And so I went on. Another one was this. Love is a most powerful emotion that a human being can experience. Well, certainly love is an emotion. It's it's an emotional part of love, but we don't always feel love. And so isn't it bigger than that? Well, I decided, you know what, let me go way back into my high school years and and, and pull out someone for whom uh, he and I shared a little time in high school. His name was William Shakespeare. Now, that didn't mean I didn't go to school with William Shakespeare. But he and I, I had to read some of William Shakespeare. And what Shakespeare said of love is that love is blind and lovers cannot see. And some of you would say amen to that, right? But uh, still, it's not quite enough. And so I went on. Aristotle, way back when, said love, oh, this... He sounds like such a romantic. Love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. Oh, some of you guys need to remember that one. You'll need it on Valentine's Day. All right, write it down. The ancient Greeks called love the madness of the gods. Having read all that, you know the question I still end up with? What is love? That really didn't answer it for us. And it certainly doesn't answer it for us this Christmas season. In the Greek, there are actually seven words that have been translated love. Now, in the New Testament, there are only 
three of them that appear. And I'm going to share those with you. Matter of fact, they are in your handout. The first one is storge. Storge, and you've got a blank if you want to write this down. Storge means natural affection. That is the love that you share with your family. And this is just perfect timing because Jay and Lacey walk in just as we're talking about love for family. And so they, you guys were my illustration this morning. They came uh, this morning because today is Nancy's birthday. I went to bed with a 54-year-old woman and I woke up with a 55-year-old woman. Funny how that works. But that, that's, what, that's what that is. It, it's the love that we have among our... Do what now? A long night? <laughs> you don't know the half of it. No. I. Now, I want to tell you this. The actual word storge does not appear in the Bible, but it's negative. It's opposite appears. And so that would basically mean that it's talking about being without love or lacking in love. The next word that we run into is uh, philia. Philia is that love that you have for your friends. It's that sense of camaraderie. Yeah, put your armor. Hey, good job there. Here's my illustration right down here. It's that friendship that you have, that bond. And you've got some people in your life that you know are really, really good friends. And whenever you need something, they are there. Uh, whenever you, you're having a hard time, they're always willing to listen. They, they come and pull, pull the fat out of the fire. They come and help you do anything that needs to be done. That's the kind of love we're talking about. As a matter of fact, the, the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Now, it doesn't always live up to the name, but that's where the name comes from. And that's the, the origin of that word. And then there's a third word that appears in the New Testament for love. And that word is agape. And you probably heard this one a little bit more than the others. It basically means unconditional love or sacrificial love. It is God's kind of love. And that's the word that we encounter most in the New Testament. The word agape. This morning... I want us to under, come to understand that when we say Christmas is love, that we're not simply talking about family love, storge. We're not simply talking about brotherly love, that love among friends, that camaraderie among friends, philea. What we're really saying is Christmas is agape. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. And, and we're going to share a few passages of Scripture this morning, and they are in your handout and as we do, I want you to understand this. Every one of those passages, when it says love, that word that they're using is agape or a form of agape. And so let's take a look at those this morning. And the first one, we may not use this scripture very often when it comes to uh, Christmas, but we probably should. It's the third chapter of John and the 16th verse. And it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, not one we typically hear when we're lighting the Advent wreath. Not one that we typically hear when we're talking about the manger. And yet, 
this may be the most perfect verse of all. Because Christmas is about a God whose love was so deep, so intense, so immense, so broad, that it is best expressed and ultimately expressed in God giving his own son for us. When we talk about love at Christmas, let's remember the kind of love that would beat in the heart of God that he would send his own son to pay the price for our sin, to die in our place, but he came as a little baby on that Christmas time. Jesus did not die so we could simply go out and and cut a tree down and bring it in the house and string some lights up on it. Jesus did not die for us. He did not come for us simply so we could go out and spend way more money on gifts for other people than we actually can afford to do. He didn't do it in order to give us a Black Friday sale or the pre-Christmas sales. He didn't do it because... He wanted us to have a season filled with lights and ribbons and bows. and He came for a much deeper purpose. Because you and I, apart from God acting on our behalf, have no hope of eternity in heaven with him. None. And God said, that is unacceptable. I will act. I will work. I will move. I will do in order that they might come and be my children. Christmas love is a sacrificial kind of love. And listen, if you and I are going to express love at Christmas, Let's understand that that love, if it's going to imitate God's love, is going to need to be a sacrificial kind of love. It's a sacrificial gift, a giving of ourselves. It's a kind of love that literally holds nothing back. That's hard. I mean, i got to admit it. I can get a little selfish at times. I can get a little self-centered at times. I can get a little short-sighted at times. And There's a need that arises. There's someone who needs ministry. There's someone who needs comfort. And I just want to kind of shut that door. And say, no, no, this is, today it's about me. Some of you know, I I enjoy sports. I do. I I enjoy sports. And uh, it's basketball season, which is a great time for a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. Um, But I even watched their football team, as pitiful as it was. But I may be sitting there watching something on TV and a need arises. Maybe it's a need that Nancy has. Maybe it's a need that someone in our church or community has. And I'm thinking, I just don't want to leave this game. I just want to hang right here. I want to watch my game. Um, Sometimes God has to remind me 
that for love to truly be love, it means sacrifice. And sacrifice means it's going to cost you something. And Christmas costs God our Father everything. For he sent his own son. Christmas love is a kind of love that gives freely even when the recipient doesn't appreciate it. There are times that I've done something for someone else and I did it with the best of motivation, but I didn't get the thank you that I thought I deserved. I didn't get the appreciation that I thought I deserved and I went away kind of mopey because I wasn't appreciated. That my sacrifice wasn't acknowledged. God lives with that every day. How many millions over how many centuries have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and turned their back and walked away? How many have come into church buildings on a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and sung the songs and heard the message and yet walked away without receiving the Savior. The kind of love that we're talking about here, this Christmas kind of love, is moved by genuine need so that it cannot help but respond. We are compelled by the love within us to act. So this season, we need to at least mentally and spiritually, go and stand by the manger of Jesus. And we need to marvel at the immensity of God's love that he would send his son for us. God's gift, sacrificial gift to us. Let me share a couple more scriptures with you. One in Romans and the next in 1 John. In Romans chapter 5 we read, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When two siblings, brother, sister, brother, brother, sister, sister, doesn't really matter. It happens in all of them. When they fight and you go, the parent goes in to break up this fight. Very often you hear the expression, but he started it. Okay, they're pointing over here so they know exactly what, but she started it, you know, but he started, she started it. Well, you know what? God is saying something very, very similar here. Except it's not about fighting. It's about loving. 
What John is telling us is God started it. While we were still steeped and saturated and stuck in our sin, Christ died for us. We didn't do a thing to earn it. We didn't do a thing to deserve it. We didn't get ourselves all cleaned up, wipe the sin off, and then go present ourselves before God. As one preacher has said, the only thing that we add to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. We're going to sing a song shortly, and it begins, Just as I am. That's exactly the way we come to Jesus. Just as we are, there's nothing we can do to clean the sin off. Every time I read this, I picture, again, going back to high school. My goodness, I'm reminiscing. Going back to high school, I remember going and seeing the play Macbeth and seeing Lady Macbeth after having that that murder. Gosh, I can't remember it all, but somebody was killed. And she is now wiping and washing and trying to get the stains of blood off her hands, but there's no blood there. She still sees it. And that's the way it is with our sin. It may not have that appearance on the outside. We may not be blotchy and dirty and bloody on the outside. But we're still stained. And we still need one who can cleanse us. And only one can. And that is Jesus Christ. And that is why he came he didn't wait for us to get right first he didn't hold off until we cleaned ourselves up a bit god acted it was god's initiative and he acted knowing that many would even reject his gift and still he came christmas love is a love so deep that it doesn't wait for others to act first Some of you sitting here today have a dispute, an argument, a conflict with someone else and you are waiting for them to take the first step. You're waiting for them to come to you and ask your forgiveness. Perhaps in love, It is you who needs to go to them. It is you who needs to take the first step because that's what love does. Love acts. And you go, but but they may not receive this. They may not respond to this. They may not act the right way back to me. And I want to tell you, that doesn't matter because Christmas love acts even if the other person doesn't respond back to you in the right way. Christmas love. Christmas love is a pursuing love. Christmas love is a wooing love. I've spent some time in the book of Hosea lately. That prophet that God said, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to marry an unfaithful woman, may even have been a prostitute at the time. And I want you to love her. And yet... 
this woman whose name was Gomer just continued to be unfaithful, continued to run off, continued to get herself into situations that were awful. And yet God said, go buy her back. She sold herself into sexual slavery. You go buy her back. You bring her back home. We read that. We need to understand that's the kind of love that God has for us. It is a pursuing love. It is a love that is not impulsive, but it is extravagant. And there's a difference. God started it. And we're to follow his example. Let me share one more scripture with you. I think it's important for us to hear this one in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul writes, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the problems we have is that we've got our idea of love from the Hallmark Channel, from Lifetime, from romance novels, from movies, and from those mushy poems that all talk about love. The problem is the kind of love that they talk about is not the same kind of love that we are talking about here. It is not that agape kind of love. And we get it all mixed up because we've got one word for love. I love my wife, I love my children, I love Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream, I love Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, are those all on the same level? You'd listen and say, no, the donuts are way higher. (laughs) No, of course not. It's the Bluebell that's higher, no. But you and I, we understand that, that we have different things for, different words that, I mean, one word that we use that means totally different things. And when it comes to love, this kind of love, this Christmas kind of love, we need to understand that it is not flimsy and it is not fleeting. It is not temporary. It is not here today and gone tomorrow. You know, we have expressions about love, right? You fall in love like it's some kind of an accident but then we have the opposite right you fall out of love that's not the kind of love we're talking about we're talking about a kind of love that has sticking power a kind of love that lasts not something that's transient but something that's forever christmas love doesn't quit Christmas love doesn't stop. Christmas love has no expiration date. It is both persistent and relentless. God's love for us, what we're being told here in Romans chapter 8 is that God's love for us is secure now and forever. Now and forever. Love songs sing about that, right? 
was it Lionel Richie saying always and forever? That's I know long, some of you is a long time back. And we hear that. Uh, listen, hey, listen. Next time you're listening to secular radio stations, it doesn't really matter whether it's country or pop or whatever it is. You can listen. Even go back and because and, I listen to some old stuff sometimes and they're still singing about love, but it's the same thing and it always has these hopes and it always has these promises and it always has this, this promise of permanence that I'm going to love you forever. Oh, and how many people have stood up in a church building like this or out in a beautiful scene by a beach or in the woods or, or somewhere and they've made this commitment this promise for better or worse for richer or poor in sickness and in health i will be yours for as long as i live and yet and i'm not saying that the promise wasn't made with the best of intentions but what i am saying is we've come to understand that that kind of love Sometimes it doesn't last. Sometimes it completely falls apart. Sometimes the thing that began so beautiful turns out to be really, really ugly. But what we read here is that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And Paul's pretty explicit about it. Death doesn't separate us. Life doesn't separate us. Angels can't do it. Rulers can't do it. There's nothing present that can do it. There's nothing to come that can do it. There's no power that can do it. There's nothing on the heights. There's nothing in the depths. There's nothing else in all of creation that'll be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you came this morning because you needed to hear that. You think God's love is like everybody else's love. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's temporary. It's transient. It's fragile. And the reality is that God says there's nothing, nothing that can separate my love from you because of Jesus Christ. It is a love that never wavers, a love that never falters, a love that never fails. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that love chapter so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love and he doesn't use storge he doesn't use phalia he uses agape that will last from first to last when you open your bible God is whispering to you and sometimes he's shouting to you, I love you. And when we come to Christmas, he's showing us. He's showing us. Now I know that there are Santas and there are elves and there are trees and all, there's all kinds of stuff involved, reindeer and snowman, how in the world we... You know, we, we sing frosty down here and it's 80 degrees, but it's okay, I guess. But if we really want to see Christmas, then we need to look in the manger. Because it is there that God expresses love. It is there that we learn what love is. 
Christmas is a time to reflect on the incredible, infinite, non-ending love of God for us. For some of you this morning, it may be a time for you to come back home to that kind of love. You've kind of lived a little distant from it. You've been a little distracted and maybe you've forgotten just how much God loves you. I hope today that you are reminded in God's word that you are reminded here at Christmas that God's love for you never fails. He didn't stop loving you. He won't fall out of love for you even though he knows everything you've done, everything you've said, and everything you've thought. He still loves you. Some of you need to come to that love for the very first time. You need to come and acknowledge, you know what? I believe that there's a God who loved me enough to send his son to die on a cross to pay the price for my sin. And today, I want to come and declare that I believe that and stand in that and revel in the love of God that he's shown me in Christ Jesus. But there are many more of you out here who need to make a different kind of commitment and that commitment is to share that love. It's very easy to fall into the world's definition of how we ought to love people and what that means for us. But I want to tell you something right now. If we're going to love with Christmas love, then it's not about feelings and it's not about emotions. It's about service and it's about sacrifice. It's about sharing the reason that we celebrate here today. And some of you, for you, this season is a season of renewal where you come to the manger and you recognize that this baby was sent for one purpose and one purpose only to sacrifice himself for me. And not just for me, for the world. Because remember the scripture we read to begin with? For God so loved the world. And the beautiful thing about it is he's given you the privilege of serving others in Jesus' name and sharing Jesus without fear. Take it. Use it. Embrace it. Become a person who overflows. Not with Hallmark love, but with Christmas love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for reminding us today of your great love for us in Jesus Christ. And that this Christmas celebration is about more than just this secular stuff that we see going on. Oh, it's fun, Lord. It's, it's fun to have kids sitting on, on Santa's lap taking those pictures. It's fun to have all those presents wrapped in under the tree looking forward to Christmas morning when all the wrapping paper is thrown here, there, and yonder. And you hear the laughter of children and, and just, it's fun. Lord, it's a great thing to drive around and see the Christmas lights strung up on the streets, uh, see the brightly lit trees inside of homes. Lord, it's so much fun. Well, Lord, in the midst of that, would you not let us forget what it's really all about? 
And would you draw our hearts and minds in some quiet moment back to that little town of Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph sought a place to stay, a place to give birth to a child who was no ordinary child, but your son, God. Would you let us with our mind's eye behold that baby? Would you let us marvel, not at a newborn baby, but at the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God slain before the creation, the one who would grow up to hang on a cross, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and to rise again in victory, opening the way up for us. Lord, let us not become so distracted that we forget what Christmas love is truly all about. Lord, if there are those who need to receive that love today, then encourage them by your Spirit to come. There are those, Lord, who need to be part of a family like this, Grace Fellowship, then encourage them, Lord, to come. Those, if there are those here who simply need to come and pray, whether it's to confess sin or whether it's to pray for someone that they know who desperately needs Jesus, whether it's just to come in brokenness, looking to be made whole by your hand. Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do this morning, we want to respond in faith. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.